This podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check out the THN Patreon page to become a monthly supporter. And Omaha Bound. No one has more experience binding comic books into beautiful hardbound editions. Check out their work at OmahaBound.com. Thanks to Omaha Bound and stay tuned for an announcement about their Kickstarter for Paul Tobin and Phil Hester's Fringe series from Caliber Comics collected for the first time. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantined cigarette at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 588 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, and the other head I share my body with is none other than... <laughs> my name is Matt Baum, and this week we're reviewing eight comics from New Comic Wednesday, September 2nd, and after that it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our damn must-read picks for next damn week. Uh, now, I'm not too good at math, Matt, but uh, episode 588, in 12 episodes, it'll be episode 600. That doesn't make any sense. I don't think that's That right. means we'll hit 600 before the end of the year. We'll have to talk to Stephen Fino about that and see if that's correct. I'm not positive. I feel like our master of coin is the guy we should go to on this one. And finally, Willie Toots drags Matt back into his adventure tour through some of their favorite fantasy films and the even more magical Marvel Super Special adaptations when they talk about Dragon Slayer. Yeah. And now, of course, that is in Jared's Swords and Scrolls segment, so suit up, nerds, and grab your best dragon scale shield because it's review time in the Ziggler. This week, our pile of comics features giant dead gods, stolen angels' wings, the return of the Marvel zombies, and full frontal male nudity. And we're not kidding this time. It must be Wednesday. Joe, why don't you get us started here? <laughs> All right. My first review is Inkblot number one from Image. A powerful sorceress attempts to correct her greatest mistake, the creation of a magical cat that can travel through time, space, and reality. The cat threatens to unravel the fabric of the universe, doesn't care, and just won't listen. Cats, am I right? Mm, don't get me started. I'm allergic. <laughs> For the record, I'm just allergic. I don't have a problem with them. Yeah, okay. I thought you just, like, hated cats. No, I'm just allergic. Okay. Yeah. Now, I've been a fan of artist Emma Kubert for a while. She's the daughter of the legendary Joe Kubert and a real talent in her own right. I think, I don't remember which. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't remember. I think Adam is her dad. Okay. So she's young. Uh, she's in her 20s. Okay. I mean, they old now. Right. Like, those guys have been I, around I, for 30. I suppose, yeah. Young, youngish. Sure, right. So I was excited to hear that she had a new series coming out with co-creator Rusty Glad. Uh, unfortunately, Inkblot was a complete miss for me. The issue moved so slowly. There's so much lore dumped on the reader in the opening pages that it's just a slog by the time you actually get to the main event. The dialogue is just a series of surprised exclamations from the lead character. A cat? A portal? Giants? <laughs> Sadly, I thought Kubert's art was also really inconsistent here, and the coloring is rough. Way too saturated with a bunch of distracting digital effects. It's a shame, uh, because I love her work. 
And I'm not sure how Rusty Glad contributed since the, the credits don't specify anything, but I'm sure he's a very nice person. Yeah, but he's a great guy. <laughs> uh, I had high hopes for Inkblot, and I could see the promise here, but number one just failed to grab me. I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, let me ask you a question, and this is at the risk of sounding like a jerk. Sure. But if I didn't tell you that this came out from Image, would you have guessed that's where it came out? Or would you have guessed No. this is like a scout? And this is not to talk shit about other press, you know, or anything. No, no, no. Yeah, no, it, it, I totally, I'm with you. No, it didn't. It felt unpolished, I will say. Yes, it lacked a polish. Yes. That Um, you are accustomed to seeing in image books. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm giving this a leave it because it wasn't a good comic. It just wasn't. It didn't look good. It didn't read well. I found it exceptionally boring for all the same reasons you did. It was boring. And I was kind of shocked that Image put this out, quite honestly. I'm not trying to be like an asshole about it, but that's how I felt. Speaking uh, speaking of dicks. (laughs) Speaking of dicks, I read Sexual Gary, the one shot from Image. This is from Matt Fraction. And Rachel Stott is on art, who is a nice girl, by the way, and should not be hanging out with perverts like Fraction, who make her draw this many dicks. Okay? Now... Because we demanded it, the origin of sexual Gary had to be told. Fans of sex criminals will recognize Gary as the world's favorite pansexual porn star turned literal cockfighter. Here, we get the full frontal secret origin of Gary in all its hypersexual glory from his days as a high school kid that would fuck anything to literally anything, by the way, to his latest bid for presidency. (laughs) And if you're looking for a three-page list of hilarious fake porn titles... Look no further. The time they must have spent on that. Oh, my God. Uh, You know what? I'll bet Fraction just cranked him out. I'll bet it was just like (laughs) rapid fire. Him and Zadarsky probably just sat there and was like, all right, every time you don't get one in two seconds, you have to drink. Go. And like 20 minutes (laughs) later, they're like, I'm stone sober. (laughs) Only a writer like Fraction could take a book this absolutely filthy and give it real humor. I mentioned in my notes, like I, this made me think of Tim Seeley's Money Shot, which is also kind of like an adult porny kind of book, but not as funny. And I got to say, Sexual Gary really had a heart to it as well. Stott's art is perfect for this insanely hyper-sexualized story about the rise and fall of Sexual Gary. I immediately wanted to catch up on Sex Criminals. I'm about 10 issues behind. I could not have loved this more. I just thought it was fun. It was raunchy. It had a heart and it was hilarious. I'm giving it a buy it. Uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> yes, it was good. It was good. I'm giving it a buy it. I, I don't have anything else to say. Like I don't read sex, sex criminals. Um, it's a lovely book. It is. It out, is. This comic book is outrageous. It's it is outrageous in every way, in all the best ways. Uh, the art is great. Uh, and yeah, the script was funny, but they're not doing it for camp. That's the other thing you can tell fraction likes this character is telling a a real story and really puts heart into the character. Like I felt for him in several scenes. It's like, Oh, Gary, that's awful, man. You got to pull yourself (laughs) out of this. (laughs) It was great. Next up for me, we only find them when they're dead. Number one from boom title, Captain Malik, best title of the week. So good. <laughs> Captain Malik and the crew of the autopsy ship Vihan 2 harvest the only resources that matter from the giant corpses of alien gods found on the edge of human space. Think of nowhere, uh, the city built inside the head of a dead celestial. I definitely have that in my of the head. galaxy. Big time. Uh, but on a much larger, like mass produced scale. 
The concept is wild and I loved it. Writer Al Ewing gives us just enough backstory and character detail while setting up the premise. Uh, we don't learn too much about the crew here, but this is a finite series. I think uh, just 15 issues. So I trust that Ewing has paced this intentionally and that he'll get us there. The art by Simone DeMeo is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, there are a lot of double page spreads that create an awesome sense of scope. The, and it's easy for creators, especially like big two creators, to lean on double page spreads. It used to be kind of all yeah, the rage definitely. to lean on double page spreads and, instead of actually like filling a story with content. Right. And I get it. Like you're a good artist and you want to show off what you can do. And there's no better way to do it than a double page spread. I mean, sure, sure. Um, but here, these double page spreads are also not lacking in story. Yeah, definitely. His, his designs for the dead God, the technology and the ships, they're all really unique and interesting. And his Captain Malik is appropriately grizzled for a cranky space pilot. Totally. Yeah, I really liked him. The color work with assists by Maria Sara Miotti is gorgeous and vibrant using digital effects that add instead of distract. Looking at you, Inkblot. <laughs> I really loved We Only Find Them When They're Dead. It just further my cement, it just further cemented my opinion that Al Ewing is one of the best writers working in comics right now. Huge buy it. Al Ewing had a really good week, and we'll get into another book that he did shortly here. But let me ask you this. We sort of talked about this during a little break that we didn't record. And the more I think about it, the more I see this as a Starjammers book that Marvel wouldn't print. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not saying they're all analogs or anything like that, but I could see Captain Malick definitely being, you know, Corsair. <laughs> I could just see it. I don't know. But... I agree. I mean, there was a lot of I, intention here that wasn't present in some other books we read. Like you said, the yeah. two page spreads and stuff like that. They weren't just thrown in and be like, here's a big, awesome picture to fill some stuff. There was real intention. What, what Ewing was doing and he's really good at that. And we're going to talk about him again later. He's one of my favorite writers working right now in comics. I love this guy. I love this book. I'm giving it a buy it. I mean, I, I see where you're getting, where you're coming from with that idea, but, you know, sometimes writers have their own concepts. Uh, yeah, and I'm not, saying it, I'm not saying it was. I'm saying it would have worked there, too, I think. You know, I, I wonder if it would have. Because I can, well, it would have worked for us, yeah. but I can see it not selling at all because nobody knows who the Star Jammers are. <laughs> no, I mean more like, um, this seems like a concept that would not necessarily fit in to a super-powered universe. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I'm saying? That's fair. All right, ne what's next? My next review is of Hellblazer, Rise and Fall, book one from DC Black Label. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Derek Robertson. This one starts at the beginning, the very beginning, with the birth of John Constantine, assisted by one Dr. Delano, named after Jamie Delano, who wrote the first 24 issues of the old Vertigo Hellblazer series. From there, the story jumps to modern day, where a naked businessman is found impaled on a church steeple, and of course, he has angel's wings. And then another dead corpse shows up with angel's wings, but someone keeps stealing the wings from the corpses. Taylor was obviously a fan of the classic vertigo hellblazer series he does a wonderful job paying homage here with his creepy violent and downright nasty script robertson is just made to draw filth like this and his style is perfect for taylor's script 
There's something about Robertson's style, and I don't know what it is, but it's present whenever he's drawing London or Hellblazer or working with certain creators where the book looks dirty. It just looks filthy. The people are dirty. The gore is awful. You know, he's just so good at it. This is the Hellblazer that I've been missing. And while it's not Vertigo Reborn, if they can do this at Black Label, I will take it there. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I like this even more than the Simon Spurrier stuff that he's doing with the Sandman series, which is good. It's perfectly good. But this feels like good and canceled. (laughs) Yeah, real good and canceled. It feels like this could have just been dropped right in the middle of any Vertigo run and it would have worked perfectly. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I thought it was great. You know, I I didn't know what to expect from it. I loved Eric Robertson. Love him, love him, love him. Uh, and I I loved all the nods Tom Taylor put into the script. Yeah. Uh, there was also um, Fabry's Cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, for, <laughs> named for uh, classic Fa- Hellblazer Glenn cover Fabry. artist Glenn Fabry. Yeah. Yeah, this was a fantastic read. I, I quite enjoyed it, and I'm giving it a bite as well. And it felt more like Vertigo than anything I've read. Most definitely. In, in quite a while. Yeah, most definitely. Do the Swamp Thing here, please. Just do it. I'll take it. And let Tom <laughs> Taylor do it. I'm in. Speaking of Al Ewing, we can't stop That's talking right. about this friggin' guy. Empire number six. Ewing's event with co-writer Dan Slott, quote unquote, wraps up in this issue. Uh, obviously, you could hear the air quotes, and I also said, quote unquote. Uh, that <laughs> that's is how you due... hear the air quotes. You say, quote unquote. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, that's due to the bevy of upcoming aftermath issues that will also wrap up the event. Uh, even though I'm sure some of them were decent, I didn't pay too much attention to the tie-ins, and I think I was better off sticking to the main event. It just read really well in in this one solid chunk. This was a pretty standard superhero team up. It was also a really solid story that didn't make any claims about changing the face of the Marvel universe forever. Yeah. She-Hulk will never be the same. Right. None of that shit happened. Everybody switched heads. Oh my God. They've all switched heads and they're running around, (laughs) you know, like, ugh, stop it. Solid character work that sets some heroes up in an interesting place for future stories. And Valerio Skeeti's exciting art keeps the pace moving really well. Empire was a fun read. And while I joked about the continuing tie-ins, issue six really does wrap things up in a satisfying way. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, they stuck the landing. This turned out to be a fantastic little Marvel, you know, company crossover and we don't get a lot of those anymore they nailed this one it didn't need to shatter anything or ruin anybody or leave a pile of dead bodies in its wake it just told a good story it was really well thought out shitty's art or man i can't say enough about like how much that guy has improved this and not that he was ever bad but he's working at a whole new level now and i think empire will concrete him with some top level job at Marvel. This was good looking, fun to read, just really great thing moment, by the way. If you're a fan of the thing, oh, really great thing moment in this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving it a, a gigantic buy it. And we probably will do a TLDR on this one sometime soon, and it'll be fun. There, some of the tie ins, really good. Yeah, some of the other ones were fine. But I will say, none of the tie ins I read sucked. I'll say that. So I'm saying Empire, okay. market a win. 
Same, yeah. My next review is of Spy Island from Dark Horse. I was pleasantly uh, surprised to see they're still putting out comics. Good for them. This is written by Chelsea Kane with art by Elise McCall and art breakdowns, we'll call them, by Leah no, Mitterneet. No, she, she did the book design. Okay. And she did the supplemental artwork. So like the- Like the photorealistic stuff. And the, yeah, the, okay. no, the, the posters and the, you know, the Save the Mermaids thing and the- Yeah, okay. Nora Freud is a secret agent stationed on an island on the edge of the Bermuda Triangle, populated by spies. That's not all. Her job is to keep an eye on them and to attend fundraisers for famous people that visit the island and donate to the latest Save the Endangered Mermaid population, for example. (laughs) Nora is bored with the madness around her, and then one day, her baby sister shows up to help actually save the mermaids, and it looks like all hell's gonna break loose. Kane's script is smart, it's sharp, and it moves at a very fast pace, but it takes some beats for humor as well. This felt stylish and nihilistic, like Fight Club, but at times as wacky as an Austin Powers film. I like Nora a lot, and I like the setup. McCall's art is really good. It reminds me very much of saga artist Fiona Staples at times, but it's interrupted by some mixed photography and digital effects that I did not care for. And honestly, I think the artist probably could have just drawn better. This is a quirky book with a really solid premise and a smart, funny female main character that's just screaming to become a USA original TV show. I am giving it a buy it aside from the weird photorealistic bullshit. Uh, All right. Well, just to start, uh, Chelsea Kane is terrible. (laughs) Uh, She's she's done some pretty bad She's made some pretty bad transphobia comments. She's online. like from that school of like uh, what's her head from uh, Harry Potter, like a, right? Like a turf, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, like I don't know if she's gone so far as J.K. Rowling, but like, well, I don't know. I read she, up on it a, a little bit, and it sounded problematic. like she had written a script that some people had a problem with. She came out and was basically like, "Screw you! It's just fiction." And so I don't really know where she stands. But I gotta say, I enjoyed this. It was a good read. Sure. And, you know, on the other the other side of the coin is that she was also almost driven out of comics forever uh, by uh, Comicsgate trolls mm-hmm. because of her work on Mockingbird at Marvel. Well, that was when uh, she so, made, had Mockingbird dare to wear a T-shirt that said she was a feminist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? exactly. Right. right. Exactly. I know I burned uh, all my Mockingbird comics. That was that. <laughs> uh, you know, so keep all that in mind. Uh, I think the premise is fun. Um, I thought she did a little bit too much telling and not enough showing, you know, cause the, she spent the entire issue like, Oh man. And another thing that I love about, um, about, uh, living on a spy Island is all the friggin' mermaids and demons and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> time vortexes. And then you don't see any of it. Well, you don't it, see any of it until the very, very end. Until the very end, which I don't know if that was on purpose. Like they were just like, Hey, we're in the Bermuda triangle. Joke, joke, joke. And then like, no, we're in the Bermuda Triangle and there's honestly all this weird shit going on. Like, I think that's kind of what they were going for. I guess. I I mean, I kind of would have preferred her to lean into the wackiness from the jump. Okay. Um, But that's just for me. Uh, I I thought the character was fun. Um, The setup is cool. And uh, when you actually do see a mermaid, it is terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) The photos inserted into the art i don't get it 
took me immediately out of the story yeah. every single time it happened. I don't like that and style. And that's a problem. I don't want it. it. It never works for me. Like, it's one It's one thing if you want to throw in a fun little haha Save the Mermaids poster. Ha, that's cute. I get it. You know, Hickman gets away with that shit. Sure. I'm fine. Uh, but putting in actual photographs, it, it didn't work. It didn't yeah. work for me. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm giving it a skim it because, like, it was so distracting to, to read. I did <laughs> love the cover. The cover was uh, by uh, Milton Neek. Yeah, the cover. And it looks beautiful. Like, it looks like the cover of an old pulp novel. It's gorgeous. Totally. Yeah. My final review is of Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one from Marvel. Marvel Zombies is a bit of a zombie itself, <laughs> a concept that keeps getting driven into the ground, yeah. only to come shambling back. <laughs> this, however, was kind of a pleasant surprise. Uh, as far as I could tell, now I'm not an expert. Matt and I discussed it, and we're not sure. But it seemed like a complete reboot of the concept. It's set in a world that's fallen after the heroes brought back the zombie virus from space. <clears throat> Writer Philip Kennedy Johnson does a great job exploring the emotional toll that this has all taken on Spider-Man and his unlikely allies Moonstone and Forge. I thought Forge was especially used to great effect, having weaponized the still-powered body parts of his fallen friends. Leonard Kirk and Rochelle Rosenberg deliver some wonderfully gross visuals. Plus, there's a final page character entrance that made me cheer. Marvel Zombies Resurrection was unexpectedly great, I thought, and I'm looking forward to more. I'm giving it a buy it. Man. Like, I don't give a shit about Marvel Zombies. I don't either. And maybe that's my problem. I don't feel like this was a reset. I feel like this felt like a continuation of something that I didn't read. I didn't know what was going on with a lot of characters. They talk about some stuff that's happened to Franklin Richards that definitely didn't happen in this book and they don't show you anything. There's a lot of, I don't know. I felt like I was just dropped into something that I hadn't read. And admittedly, I haven't read Marvel zombies for a long time. So if this is a continuation, it certainly doesn't let you know that. And if it's not, yeah. I think that's a weird choice. Other than the, other than the thing about Franklin, everything else I felt like they did a decent job kind of recapping it, eh, you know? Maybe, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I hated it. I'm giving it a skim it just because I don't particularly care about this Marvel Zombies and I felt like they didn't prepare me to drop into this well enough. And the art was very pretty. I'll say that. Very pretty art. I love the art. I lo I'm a huge fan of Leonard Kirk. Giving it a skim it. My final review is of Black Widow, number one from Marvel. This was written by Kelly Thompson with art by Elena Casagrande. I love to say her name. Nat is hiding out in San Fran, posing as a construction worker, of all things. She's been ducking Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier for months. But is it for a job? Or is she in love? Oh, my God. Thompson takes a complete 180 <laughs> with her script here, which I thought would be a more stripped-down take on her super spy past. But instead, she may be giving us, like, a very personal story about Nat, the likes of which I don't think we've ever seen. Now, I know we always go into Nat's background and her history, but it's like that Red Room shit or spy shit. This is more yeah. like a character's mom is sick or a character has, a like, a cousin they're visiting. Like, there's some very real stuff going on here with the character that we've never really gotten from Nat. Casagrande's art is 
unreal slick here. Her thin lines and slightly off-center point of view give the book an almost steady cam action film feel. The colors by Jordi, by Jordi Belair are perfect. All female creative team, by the way, which is very cool. This weighs very heavy on blacks and reds to match the widow's costume. I thought this was going to be good. It turned out to be great. And I'm really excited to read more of this. This is probably one of the best Black Widow comics I've ever read. Yeah. It was great. I, I love this. I can't wait to read more. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it completely. I I feel like we've been waiting for this book forever uh, yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. And we have uh, like about eight months. <laughs> it's uh, true. But uh, it was worth the wait. I, I was thrilled by it. The art is beautiful. And I totally agree with what you said. Like, I feel like every Black Widow story in the last like five years or more has been like the red room. Right. Oh, let me relive my pain of the red room. That's my black widow. Someone else from the red room has come for you. Black widow. Yeah. 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 Exactly. (laughs) And that's just like, no, this is, it's it's just Natasha doing her own thing. We don't know what's going on. Does she have amnesia? I don't fucking know. We don't know. Some really good Hawkeye moments too. Yeah. Yeah. And can I tell you, how much I love the friendship between Black uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye. Yeah, I love it. I do too. I love it because it it's like he genuinely loves her, and she sort of puts up with him, and he's like, "Yeah, he's my friend." <laughs> you know, I mean, she loves him too, but she, she also is exasperated by in, him in her weird uh, Black Widow kind of way. You yeah, know? as much as she has the capacity to love, right? Uh, and I'm like, it's it's one of the things that I was most happy that they brought over uh, to the films. Yeah. Is the fact that they're best friends. Yeah, definitely. Huge buy it. Totally awesome. So Joe Patrick, which book wins? What's your book of the week? You know, I, w- I would have told you before I started reading all my stuff that Black Widow was a lock for it, but I think it's we only find them when they're dead. Fair enough. I really enjoyed that. I'm just so excited for this moment for Al Ewing. He definitely, Al Ewing had the best week he could possibly have. I have to give my book of the week to the life and times of sexual Gary. It was fantastic. It was a God roller coaster dude. ride. Dude, it had it had such a huge heart and it, it was just wonderful. I love the way Matt Fraction writes comics and this was just great. I loved it. I was like, you know, I don't know if they I don't know if they did this on purpose or if it was just the way the panel was framed or what. But I found myself thinking I can clearly see that's a dick and balls ejaculating. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you bother trying to cover up just a small part of it with a caption box? I think that's just part of the fun. Like, they know what they're doing. They're very aware, you know? Yeah, Like, yeah, Jesus, Gary, like, look at you. Your cock and balls say bruises have cock and balls shaped bruises. You look terrible. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It I was wonderful. is your onomatopoeia of the week and it is the sound of Laufey eating his son Loki as seen in the pages of War of the Realms number one from Marvel this onomatopoeia was submitted by our most adorable listener Hugo Tverdick I'm sorry I meant to say manly and handsome yeah what are you talking about he's he's, he's huge now he's a big dude 
By the way, that's a pretty adult situation, John Tavertic, and I don't know if your son should be reading it. So, (laughs) Uh, well, and also we're putting his onomatopoeia of the week in an episode that talks about dicks and balls. So, whatever. I mean, they've come to expect that from us. So. Uh, if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, uh, Hugo, ask your dad what all that means. <laughs> if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or do what Hugo did and email us at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, just call call and leave it on the voicemail. You don't even have to record anything. Just dial the number. Remember, though, you got to make the noise. You got to tell us what's happening and where it came from. Title and issue number, if you can. Very important stuff. And we will play that on the show, like we just did. We will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. We wanted to tell you about Omaha Bound's latest Kickstarter project. Omaha Bound are premier bookbinders that specialize in binding comic books into amazing, one-of-a-kind, hardbound editions, completely customizable to your specifications. Omaha Bound's latest project is a collection of Paul Tobin and Phil Hester's Fringe, originally printed by Caliber Comics in the 1990s and reprinted for the first time collected ever. Oh, by the way, the series never ended, but now you can read the end. This new reprint includes a newly written ending to the story, new spot illustrations by Hester accompanying the new ending, new cover by Phil Hester, and an introduction by Zach Davison. We're going to have a link in the show notes to their Kickstarter where you can see preview art and more. These trade paperbacks are ready to print and are print by order only, so they will be very limited. So you pledge if you want to own this beautiful collection of early works by Tobin and Hester. You will also get a copy of the Fringe Pencils and Inks. It's a companion piece that has 100 plus pages of original art, sketches, and other artifacts. It's printed in full color. And like I said, they are ready to print. So you order this and boom, it's shipping right out to you. Plus, you'll also get a copy of the Wretch Omnibus, which collects every Wretch storyline, including a new one by series artist Phil Hester that he did in 2019, and the Wretch Pencils and Inks art book. Go check out their Kickstarter. Get in on four exciting, beautifully curated hardcovers, printing Fringe and the Wretch for the first time with new content. I want to send a huge thanks to Omaha Bound for supporting this show and go support these guys. Contact them if you want to get your hands on these unique collectibles or you want to get your comics bound into a -a one-of-a-kind hardcover collection. I know on their website they had an X-Factor collection all lined up and the spines lined up with the team showing the the Larry Stroman X-Factor stuff that I love so much. You can find them at omahabound.com. Now, back to the show! That is it for reviews. And now it's time to head up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where I am quietly preparing my fantasy football picks for the nerd league that Joe Patrick isn't invited to play in anymore because he doesn't understand that big boys play for money. What are you doing over there? Not, uh, nothing. Nothing. No, I'm just, I, was, uh, I was just making my uh, must-read pick of the week for September 9th. Hey, uh, Joe, what's your pick for next week, by the way? Huh. Very suspicious. My pick is Bill and Ted are doomed. Number one from Dark Horse. That's right. Two weeks in a row. New comics from Dark Horse. It's written by Evan Dorkin with art by Roger Langridge. This creative team is bananas. It's 32 pages for $3.99. And here's your solicit. 
after defeating the evil dictator. <laughs> dictator. After defeating the evil dictator Di Nomolos in Bogus Journey in 1995, things aren't looking as excellent as they should for either Bill and Ted or the Wild Stallions. I'm not sure why I put in that extra pause there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Wow. There's tension in the band and worry at home. Bill and Ted's obsessiveness with writing the one song to bring peace to the world is affecting their playing and their relationships with their families. The band is losing favor with fans and the future isn't shaping up as they were all led to believe it would from the past and future events. Brutal. Desperate for a solution, Bill and Ted burst in to announce their great idea to revive the band's fortunes, a world tour to spread the love and the rock and the love of the rock to the world. <laughs> I Quite honestly, I wish Evan Dorkin would have written the new movie. It's fun. It's cute. It's dumb. <laughs> I, I wish they would have let Evan Dorkin just go nuts. Be like, hey, you killed it on the comics. Go crazy. This will be fun. I mean, yeah. I, you know, um, who was it? Was it Boom or IDW? They they had the Bill and Ted license for a while, and they put out some comics, and they were fine. They I were thought cute. it was just always Dark Horse. So Boom repent, reprinted the Marvel stuff, and then they did a couple of minis. Now it's back at Dark Horse, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, so those those modern Bill and Ted comics, they were cute. They Whatever. Were cute. But Evan Dorkin and Roger Langridge? Yeah. Come on. I don't want anybody but Evan Dorkin to touch Bill and Ted comics. Period. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's perfect. Matt, what's your pick? My pick for next week is Rise of Ultraman, number one of five from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom with art by Francesco Mena, Michael Cho, who I love. I love Michael Cho so much. And it's Me got too. a fucking rad cover by Alex Ross. It's so cool. It's 56 pages for $5.99. Shut your mouths, crybaby. This is Ultraman, all right? Pay for it. I mean, 56 pages. Yeah, here's your solicit. In darkness, there lurks kaiju, terrifying and unfathomable monsters. Between kaiju and the rest of us stands the United Science Patrol. But who are these en enigmatic defenders? And how do they perform their miracles? Shin Hayata and Kiki Fuji have spent half a lifetime trying to find out. And their quest is about to drive them toward a decades-old dark secret and put them on a collision course with a mysterious warrior from beyond the stars! I love Ultraman so much and i have loved ultraman since i was a kid and it was played on television in waco texas and it messed me up oh my god <laughs> is that his deal he from space well the giant ultraman suit is from space the science patrol discovered it and they use ultraman but like only when they really need him which means every episode oh. yeah, right. <laughs> but he like summoning a megazord yeah he he grows yeah. giant and he f uses kung fu to fight giant monsters he can also fire lasers when he crosses his arms i love ultraman there was a preview of this that came out in some marvel comics not too long ago and it looks awesome kyle higgins as you know is the guy that has taken mighty morphin power rangers and turned it into more than a readable comic like every time we've reviewed that stuff, we have said, buy it. This is great. I cannot wait to see what he does with Ultraman. Weird that Marvel got it. I, I, I kind of shot. Yeah, like, they're going for that. But hey, if they're going to put it out and it kicks ass, I'm in. I'll take it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, important question. Mm -hmm. Can the giant robot fire his fist off like a rocket? He's not a giant robot. He is a guy in a suit. 
He's more like Green Lantern than he is Giant Robot. But he gets giant. He puts on the suit and gets giant. But he's not always giant. He's not always giant. He's just a dude. He wears a ring that he's kind of like the Flash. He wears a ring, has a suit in it. I get it. Does a thing and he puts his hand up and the suit goes on him and he grows giant and he's Ultraman. He says, thing ring, do your thing. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, or like when you summon uh, Kazan, you know, you no. clang your two no. rings together. No, not like that. Definitely not like oh. that. Right. <laughs> not a robot, just a dude. Ooh. All right. Well, I'm happy for you. No rocket fist is a deal breaker for me, though. Robot shoot Pre- rocket fist. He's not a robot, Joe. Preemptive, leave it. The THN Trade of the Week <laughs> goes to the five years omnibus from Abstract Studios. It's written and drawn by Terry Moore. It's 200 pages for $39.99 if you buy it in hardcover or $29.99 if you buy it in softcover. You have options. Either way, total steal. Come on. Here's just a listen. The world's nuclear powers are in a five-year race to build the Fi-Bomb, an apocalyptic weapon that can destroy the planet. Determined to stop them, Tambi sends Rachel and Zoe to Moscow to find and recruit their top physicist, but the pair are met with deadly force, leaving Tambi no other choice but to convince Kachu to leave her wife and children for one last job. You might be very confused up to this point, but don't worry, I'll get there. <laughs> All of Terry Moore's series unite as one epic saga in five years. At the center of it all is Kachu, the haunted woman with a wild past who would do anything for the love of her life, Francine, including leave their island paradise to stop the doomsday device hailed as, quote, the last bomb. So yeah, 10 years was the very unlikely crossover between all of Terry Moore, all of the projects Terry Moore has ever done. The Terry Moore-verse, if you will. The Moore-verse, yes. Yeah. Strangers in Paradise. I think you have to call uh, it the Terry Moore-verse so you don't confuse it with the Alan Moore-verse. Oh, yes. Thank yeah. you. The Terry moore <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Strangers in Paradise, Rachel Rising, Echo, uh, Rocket Girl, Motor Girl. Rocket Girl. Motor Girl was a different thing. Motor Girl was... M- Motor Girl was IDW, I believe. No, Rocket Girl was something else. It's Motor Girl. Is it Motor Girl? Yeah, Motor Girl. It's, it's wild. There's no reason it should work. Those worlds don't fit together. One's a superhero sci-fi. One's a supernatural. One is a fucking heartbreaking romance. One is a... Uh, uh, I don't even know what Motor Girl was. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a talking gorilla. <laughs> yeah, there was a talking gorilla. Uh, yeah, but it works. Somehow this weird alchemy works and 10 years was amazing. And here it is all collected in one place. Somehow it works because Terry Moore is a complete badass. And if you're not reading his stuff, you're doing it wrong because that guy is amazing. Terry yeah, Moore is so good. He's a storyteller. And like stuck to his guns, did it the hard way, fought the good fight, you know, like took his stuff back and continues to exist. God bless you, Terry Moore. Be sure to hit up your LCS. That's a uh, shorthand for a uh, local comic book store. That's how the cool kids say it. And add these comics to your list so you can read along at home and let us know what you are reading too over at our Facebook page where every Wednesday you can find the official THN reading list. We put it on the Twitter too, but you know, just in case you want to play along. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. 
It's time to welcome back our dungeon master, Jared Civitas, a.k.a. Wooly Toots, to the Ziggurat for another edition of Swords and Scrolls. As loyal listeners will remember, Toots and Matt have been revisiting 80s movies that got the Marvel Super Special adaptation treatment, and today they are talking about Dragon Slayer. Ladies and gentle nerds, it's Toots time in the Ziggurat. Draco, Dracorum, and welcome <laughs> to another segment of Swords and Scrolls. Tis I, Wooly Toots, and once again, I am joined by Matt Bomb. Oh, yes, Master. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Master. <laughs> <laughs> My loyal Hodge. Uh, we're t- we're going to talk about... Um, Dragon Slayer tonight. We are back at the 1980s drive-in theater to talk mm-hmm. about one of the most celebrated cult fantasy films of all time. Oh, yeah. Also, a giant tank for Disney. Like, this movie tanked so hard. They spent yeah, and, $18 yeah, million it, dollars to make it. It made $14 million. <laughs> so. in, in conjunction with Paramount Pictures, this they... That's when they started Paramount because they wanted to do these more adult films. Right. Like Splash is in this category. Tron as well they, is in that same category. Nudity and uh, adult themes. And, and uh, well, I mean, in, in the case of Dragon Slayer, some pretty good violence. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like this was dark, super dark. And people don't even believe this is a Disney film. It's not on Disney Plus and whatnot because it is really violent really dark there's butts there's like some quick boobs and stuff like side boob and i would argue one of the best on-screen dragons of all time you don't have to argue with me because it is my favorite on-screen dragon regardless of how you comparatively now to the you know the dragons you get uh cgi dragons and whatnot but the practical effect dragon oh man it's amazing so it was this guy phil tippett And he worked for Industrial Light and Magic, and he had just recently invented what he called GOMO. It was a Mm -hmm. stop-motion technique. It was literally like that old toymation, the same stuff that Ray Harryhausen did, where he was moving skeletons or like the giant Cyclops, you know, and Sinbad and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. They just improved upon it. Now, in this movie, because... The dragon lived in a cave and, and like only came out at night and shit. They could shade everything and it looked way better than like the Sinbad movies where Sinbad was fighting in broad daylight, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just, this dragon is so scary. With His name is Vermithrax. Vermith- pejorative. Pejorative, man. <laughs> Which is terrifying. I can't believe there's yeah. not a death metal band called Vermithrax Pejorative. <laughs> I, I, yeah, right? <laughs> I need to start that band. <laughs> there can't be any copyright they have to deal with anymore. It's no. long burned out. I remember my dad took me to see this movie in 1981 because I was just like, I'm in. Dragons, sorcery, this is going to be kick-ass. I, I'm totally in. And I was terrified as a kid because it was scary, man. People got burned alive. The, mm-hmm. There's a princess in the movie just like every other. Her- like Disney movie hands out of those manacles. Yeah. In the very Here's beginning. Own, that, that's, that's what messed me up as a kid, man, like seeing her rip her arm, her yeah, hands. Like the opening wrist. scene is like the virgin tied up. And like, because yeah. the, the village would offer these virgins to the dragon to settle them down or whatever. And this girl like, doesn't want to go. 
there's a, you know, she's like tearing her arms out of the manacles and bleeding. And it's like, oh my God, it was even, it was like just as violent as I remembered it when I was a kid. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good, dude. And, uh, let's, there's a few things I want to cover about the movie. Uh, so it is, it is in my, uh, 10 favorite movies of all time. Like I, I adore this movie. I de- as far as and, the eighties movies go, I'm right there. It's way up there for me because it's and, so uh, cool. The first 15 minutes of the film are seriously one of my favorite film segments ever. Oh like, yeah. Like the, uh, just how, um, how the wizard is like, <laughs> he's just doing all these spell can trips and yeah. like, and it's so, you know, it's all just like common use magic. You it's hundred I mean? percent like Dungeons and Dragons too. That's what they were going for. Dungeons and Dragons mm. was super like popular at the time and they wanted to cash in on that. And like Matthew Robbins was a director, same dude that directed uh, batteries, not included. Another great <laughs> one. But <laughs> like the whole opening scene is filmed with real candlelight and it's gorgeous. It still holds oh, yeah. up. It's beautiful. Yeah. I could watch it over and over and over and i have like it's just i i love it uh the whole introduction of it all and oh, man. Um, and his snake wizard hat that he wears <laughs> oh dude that's so cool <laughs> yeah and i he's want all, that like, hat so when bad he's putting on the robe and he's like rimbald wore this and yeah and just the other wizards that even get mentioned you know the pejorative sisters and oh. uh, not the pejoratives the but uh it, it's it's great uh merited the merited sisters right they just like very gently build a whole world here with just like mentioning little things and stuff. And you're literally dropped into it. We don't know anything. And I, the casting of Peter McNichol, that was the thing when I was a kid, I loved that. They just cast this like kind of shrimpy dude. He had sort of like a, a, a fro. I mean, he was just kind of a nerd, you know, like they, he, they were going for like, they were trying to get like a, a Luke Skywalker feel off of yeah, him too. Absolutely. Right. Like he was just a dude, you know? And I was like, I can relate to this guy. He's a nerd like me, you know? And he wanted to be a sorcerer, but he wasn't very good, you know? But this was the only way that his master knew to like give him the push that he needs to go do his job, you know? And, ugh. Mm. and not to mention the fact that like throughout the film, there's this, continuing theme of like Christianity is slowly taking over. Yeah. That's a, that, yeah. And that's a big thing. I, I, that's a thing I want to hit once we hit the comic. There's adaptation. like this old, there's this old ways and they're like the magic users and the wizards yep. and stuff like that. The dragons, and magic's the, dying out. And the King is slowly realizing like, well, Christianity is like a really good way to get everybody to follow me and not ask any questions, <laughs> you mm. know? <laughs> and, and it, it's amazing, like, not to mention the fact there's also a character who is a woman that dresses like a man because there's a lottery that they have to, like, pick the virgin that's going to be offered to the dragon. And this one dude was like, well, I'll just dress my little girl like a little boy then. Yeah, it won't be a problem. I'll just say she's a boy this whole time. It's yeah. A, yeah. And, I mean, she's obviously a woman in the film, no question. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they really touched on some some themes here that I, I can't believe that Disney was game for at the time. They, yeah. It, yeah. God, I love this movie. And, and I, dude, Tyrion, you know who Tyrion is, right? Tyrion. The, the, the like lead soldier of the oh, right, King's right, right. guard. Right. From Flash Gordon. Yeah. He's like a right-hand man to uh Hawkman. Yeah. Um, 
And it's, he and he's so great. He's fucking awesome. In this movie, like British stage actor dude, like through and through. Yeah, yeah. I and thought he, like, he was the same dude that was in Kroll for a minute there, and I had to look it up. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah, no, uh-uh, no, Flash Gordon. <laughs> and then, and then the the priest who uh, leads the congregation to the mouth of the uh, the dragon's lair, and when the dragon comes out, and he's all like. Get back to the fires of oh, hell that man. birthed the... Did you know who that was? No, who was that? That was Sheev Palpatine, dude. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. A young, like, young spry Palpatine, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, what a great scene. Like, Christianity yeah. is like, we will take care of this. Like, the power of Christ will fight this demon, you know? And, yeah. and the dragon shows up, and the priest is just like, whatever, dude. I'm not afraid of you. And the dragon just cooks him. <laughs> yeah. It's a great but, scene. Uh, That's the first time we see the dragon, too. Oh. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. And this dragon is so scary. So, okay, I read that this dragon is the reason George R.R. Mount, pardon me, George R.R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones, like, put the dragons in his books and stuff. He was really? like, I want that dragon. I want big, yeah, sure. scary, scaly, smart-looking, bird-beaked dragon. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. so totally cool. So let's, uh, let's get into the comic. Let's get um, into the comic. Jeez, we spent a good 10 minutes kind of figuring out how it was presented. It was presented in three well, okay. Formats, so first, it was Marvel Super Special, and Marvel Super Special was a bunch of different, basically licensed properties. They did some original Marvel stuff in there as well, but they were magazine-sized comics. Mm-hmm. And this was Marvel Super Special, Volume One, Number Twenty. And yep. Marie Severin was on art. Denny O'Neill wrote it. Uh, this was all like Shooter's project at the time. Jim Shooter was the editor in chief, and he saw a way to get Marvel Comics onto magazine basically in a magazine racks with like adaptations of like the latest 007 movie and close encounters of the third kind you know huge yeah. blade runner yeah and you're like making these adaptations and then after they did the magazine thing they would print them as limited series like the Kroll comic that you and i read we read as a two-part limited series which yeah. was a reprint of one of the marvel super special so yeah. This first came out there. It was then released as the two-part series, and you and I read it in this tiny little Marvel Illustrated book in full color. It this is yeah, it's a little paperback. My mom found at a yeah, garage sale this and is brought home to me one time. <laughs> far and away, the worst format I have ever seen for a comic book. <laughs> it's bad. It's like two panels per page. It really and is. And they even chopped up larger panels yeah. to fit. And then I think they there was one page where I seriously felt like they put them out of order. There was a couple that I definitely think were, because if you read it, it just, it made almost no sense. Yeah. I'm and like, I think they, they just printed these at this, or, or like they sent them off to a like foreign printing press and they came back and they're like, well, they printed a hundred thousand of them. So there's no way to fix it now. Fuck it. And put them out. <laughs> and, and like you were saying about the movie, it's even heavier in the comic. This whole presentation of like Christianity is coming in. Yeah. And like, they're leaning the old, you know, into it. The old the- ways are dying out. And like, you know, I think the the thing about the comic is that it, it made that a deeper story. Um, because like, you, like, you know, again, 
they're doing these things off the scripts right before the movie comes out so uh apparently you know it was an even deeper story well i think o'neill would looked at it and was like this is the story like this is the bigger thing you have this man versus monster man has made the monster the devil and man believes that their belief in faith and god will protect them from the devil what man does not understand is there are older things on this world that don't give a shit about your faith you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that became very apparent you know there's so many twists that this story takes. Like, like I said, the, when it opens, we see this virgin, you know, trying to get away. And the dragon, of course, eats her. Later on in the story, the daughter of the king is like, I heard a rumor that my name is never in the lottery. And he's like, nah, that's not true. You're always there. And she's like, that's not what I heard. And so she switches out the lottery and puts only her name in it. And like, you get to see this really heroic moment where this princess character, like this Disney princess is like, I feel terrible. You guys have been lied to all your life. And so I'm giving myself as a sacrifice, you know, and that's how it's going to be. And you're like, oh, well, the main character is going to save her, right? Wrong. She dies horribly eaten mm-hmm. by weird little ugly hand puppet baby dragons. Yeah, <laughs> They're yeah, all the slimy. Babies are great. Oh, yeah. God. There's yeah. so many like super dark turns that this movie takes. And even in the end where like Peter McNichol, you know, uses the, the spear that was forged by like a dude a while ago who was like, we could kill the dragon. But uh, I don't have the balls yeah, to do like it. Yeah, like a dragon lance. Right. He's like, hey, you know, I can make the weapon, but I don't have the balls to do it. And we, I was just waiting for the right guy. He kills the dragon. And the king shows up to, like, stand over the dead dragon and ceremoniously, like, push a sword into its corpse. Yeah. And the priest is there and he's like, all hail dragon slayer king son of God, you know, so and yeah. so. And like the dude, and Peter made Nichols just like, fuck this, let's get out of here. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, oh, it's such a wonderful story about, like you said, the old ways dying out, the new ways coming in and man believing that he is the Lord of his surroundings when quite honestly, no, not at all. And uh, <laughs> you better have a sorcerer nature, on your side. <laughs> Magic mother nature is a yeah. dragon. It's, it, yeah. So great. Um, the, the, the soundtrack is oh. to me, it's so spa- f- frenetic. Alex like North it, did it. it. He's the same guy that did the music for Spartacus. I looked up. And really? It's crazy. It's super creepy and kind of heroic, but at the same and time, the trumpets like, are crazy. At times. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's terrifying. It's just, yeah. It's it, it, yeah. It does have kind of a horror film definitely feel to it. When I listen to the soundtrack just by itself, you know, that that's one thing I can't get over is I'm just like, man, this soundtrack is and I something say, else. Severin's art is fantastic. It's really, she's really always fantastic. Good. Man. Yeah. She always really fantastic. is. And she needs to be more famous. This, uh, we read like a terrible format of this book, but it looks great. And you know, of the Marvel, like movie adaptations I've read, this one is the closest by far the closest. And, and to then what here's I saw the thing, man, that I find really funny 
this is the third one we've done. And I've looked on these people's bibliography and Wikipedia. None of these creators have any of these adaptations on their freaking lists. Yeah. None I, of them. I don't get it. I the don't know. People if it, that did crawl, the people that did. I don't know if Willow, it's like the a, people that did this because nothing. the nature of the work for hire or something that they can't be listed as creators or something. Cause they just adapted it. I don't I know. Yes. But wouldn't you think that, I don't know. These it, are definitely it, not celebrated there. I mean, like you can get on eBay right now and get this Marvel super special number 20 in like mint condition for like 15 bucks. It, oh, sure. It, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's nothing, you know, highly collectible, which is too bad because it's amazing. And <laughs> I looked at it for a long time last night before I was like, Matt, you do not need to buy that now. OK, oh, wow. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> wow. 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 Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's grade this bitch. Oh, man, this is absolutely a watch it. And if you can find these comics, absolutely a buy it. The, it's a, you can get so the two giving, issue series for nothing. I'm giving them both three swords all the way. <laughs> straight up, straight across three swords. Yeah, this rules. Woo. Uh, for me, definitely the movie gets three swords. The comic, I, I, I'm a little torn on because, and, and, and maybe it's because of the format we read it. Now, I, think I, did, it, I, think I it do is. have this second issue of the two issue series. And reading it that way, because I started to read it in the uh, paperback and then handed it off to you and finished reading it on the floppy. And so it reads better in the floppy. Oh, yeah. The, the, the story, though, I feel like there's a couple points where the story doesn't present itself as well, but then you are getting more of the story and more a little bit deeper like because you get a little glimpse of um galen and his um and, and ulrich uh the wizard uh his master you get a little bit more of like kind of a teaching moment in the beginning in the first issue that yeah. isn't in the movie yeah. and then and then like i said there's more of like the christianity because at one point when galen uh, uh makes it to the um the town uh and there's like uh, you know a a gathering of the you know uh, christians either doing a mass or whatever they're whatever they're doing and it's like you get a little bit more of the story i don't know okay i really liked it i I was gonna give it two swords i think three swords danny o'neill dug into it a little bit like he loved this you can tell he loved this and and it does heighten the movie for me more uh knowing like that you know it kind of really pushed forward to me that that story of of magic dying out yeah and christianity moving in and like you know this whole shift in power and belief right so yeah man let's do it <laughs> three swords, three swords across the board i love it dragon slayer yeah, man this one was right a on. winner this one was fun god i loved it <laughs> sweet <laughs> Excelsior! Oh. <laughs>
is it for Team 10 588 next week. The Cosmic Long Box returns, folks. When we review some classic back-to-school comics, these will be comics featuring academies, schools, training centers, places where young super people come to, or not just super people, magic people, whatever. Any genre, any genre. Young peeps to enrich their education. We're doing this because it's been a tough time to pick some new comics here and there, and uh, we had a lot of fun reviewing old stuff, so we're going to be switching it up. Okay, but my point is, you don't need to muddy the issue, just say it's every other week. The first week of the month will be new comics, the second- Coward. We're going to go for the Cosmic Long Box, the third, back to new comics, and the fourth- back to the Cosmic Long Box. We're going to alternate every other week. It's going to be awesome. What, are, what if there's a fifth Wednesday, smart guy? Oh, crazy shit's going to happen in that. Let me tell you. Nudity. Bears on unicycles. Monkey smoking cigars. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Until such time, Joe Patrick, please set us up with a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Joe Bankus via the THN forums. You may know him online as Casual Comics Guy. Yeah, hardworking dude. For being so casual, hardworking dude. What's your favorite comic book line that was inspired by, created because of, or was otherwise tied into a cool line of toys? You know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, while no one can dispute the amazing awesomeness of My Little Pony, his words, there are dozens of other books with really cool toy tie-ins. What's your favorite? Merchandising, now, kids. That's what we're talking about. Merchandising. <laughs> we're talking about comic books that were created of a toy line that already existed. Oh, okay. Not vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you couldn't do like yeah, Marvel right, superpowers. That, that's my jam, man. I loved them. Cover to cover is back every Saturday at 1030 live on our Facebook page and now Zoom. And it's the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894. Shoot an MP3 of your answer to two at a nerd at gmail.com. You will be internet famous. We promise. Uh, but please do your best. And we're not good at enforcing it. But try to keep it to two minutes or less to share the air because we get a lot of people trying to get in. It's true. If you're new to the show and you can't stand it, well, guess what? Just wait 15 minutes and the format will fucking change. And I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So you want to thank donors like Frequent, THN, Love Slave, and Cover to Cover Mainstay. The brand new patron, JD Gotta Catch. It's about time this guy ponies up. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman, who passed away unexpectedly at just 43 years old late last week. Uh, We spent most of last Saturday's cover to cover feeling all of our feelings about it. Boseman was a hero on screen and off. And this is a profound loss that we'll be feeling for a long time to come. I swear to God, I'm not crying. My voice is literally giving out as we speak. (laughs) He's crying. Don't listen to him. The worst part of this shit is like a week before. He was like, I did it. I kicked cancer. I did it. I'm feeling good. Like things are getting better. And then like, boom, that was the end. Where'd you see that shit? He was saying to like his friends and his doctor and stuff like, I feel really good. I feel like we did it. I'm feeling really positive. And Mm. man, all downhill from there. Word to you, Chadwick, and rest in power, King. We'll miss you. Yeah, I hope you're hanging out at the panther tree with the other panthers and stuff. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just demand that they recast the Black Panther as another dude instead of giving it to Shuri 
who became Black Panther in the comics for quite a while. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, lady haters. This is the Twitter Nerd, signing off. <laughs>